0: Welcome to our teaching today, where Christ's Word is the center of our world. We are about to listen to the undiluted Word of God from the Throne of Grace with Pastor Philip Bello. I want to teach you something this evening. I want to teach you something on the communion. How many of you were there for the last, um, the last teaching I did on the Holy Communion? Um, for those of you who are not there, I'm going to do the teaching again for the benefits of of those of us who were not there. Amen. Of course, we all have our perception of what the Holy Communion um, should be and how you should be when you take the Communion or before you take the Communion. Yeah, so there are many things that I'm going to debunk. I'm going to put those things before you and put the Scriptures before you and trust in the Lord I will be able to convince you by the Word. The Word will speak for itself. Amen. Alright, if you have your Bibles, Exodus chapter 12, verse 14. Exodus chapter 12, verse 14. So we're going to talk about the Lord's Supper this evening. Exodus chapter 12, verse 14 says, So this day shall be to you a memorial, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. You shall keep it as a feast by an everlasting ordinance. Now look at verse 25. Verse 25. Verse 25 says, It will come to pass when you come to the land which the Lord will give you, just as He promised, that you shall keep this service. Verse 26. And it shall be when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? Next verse. That you shall say, it is the Passover sacrifice of the Lord. So let's say together the Passover. Passover. Say it again, the Passover. Passover. Alright, the Passover sacrifice of the Lord who passed over the houses of the children of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians. And delivered our households. So the people bowed their heads and worshiped. All right. Now, let me bring a distinction here between um, the Passover and the Lord's Supper. Now, of course, we know that in the teaching of um, the scriptures, we have two basic covenants: we have the Old Covenant and then we have the New Covenant. The Old Covenant is um, powered by the law. And the New Covenant is powered by the Spirit. Okay? So, we also teach about the types and shadows in the Old Testament. And we teach about the antitypes or the substance in the New Testament. Did you get that? Alright, so, the type and shadow of the Lord's Supper in the Old Testament is the Passover. So, when you hear the word, the Passover... It's a type and shadow of what will happen in the future, which is um, the Lord's Supper or the Holy Communion that we're doing now. So, um, the Passover speaks of the exodus of the children of Israel from Egypt. Is that correct? Is that correct? Yeah, that's what the Passover talks about, where um, God told Moses and He said to him, Tell the children of Israel to... um, kill an animal, and take the blood, sprinkle the blood all over the lintel, and also you kill the animal, I mean you roast the animal, and then you eat of the animal inside the house. And when I see the blood, I will pass over. So, the children of Israel were asked to do this in remembrance all the time. Somebody say "All all the time. Okay? They were asked to do this in remembrance all the time. Now, This is a feast, like you just read, this is a feast that was supposed to be a consistent feast that will remind the children of Israel how God brought them out of Egypt. Okay, So if you follow me carefully, you would understand that the children of Israel, many years after they left Egypt, were not celebrating the Passover to leave Egypt again. They were celebrating the Passover for what? A remembrance. Memorial. So, let me give you a few facts about the Lord's Supper. Number one, the Old Testament looked back to the Exodus through the Passover. While in the New Testament, we look back to the cross through the Lord's Supper, through the Holy Communion. Now, what I just said to you is speaking of a remembrance or a memorial. Okay, So when you are taking the Lord's Supper, you are actually supposed to look back to something that has happened before. Does that make any sense to you? Okay, Just like you take um, while they celebrated the Passover feast, they always remembered how God delivered the children of Israel from um, slavery, from bondage in Egypt. So when you take the Lord's Supper, you remember what he did on the cross. Now I have a question for you. The question that I have for you is very simple. When the children of Israel celebrated the Passover, were they still in bondage of the Egyptians? Were they already emancipated from Egypt? They were freed already. Is that correct? Yes or yes? Okay, so it means that when you are celebrating um, or when you are partaking of the Lord's table, you are already free, not trying to be free. Did you get that? You are already free from what the cross has made you free from. You are not trying to be free. So the celebration of the Passover was done for a memorial. Just like the celebration of the Lord's Supper is done for a memorial. And that's why Jesus will always say, do this in remembrance of me. That's number one fact. Number two fact is that the Passover is actually meant to be done often. Okay, So he says, as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. Now, can I say that you don't need a priest to coordinate your partaking of the Lord's Supper? Okay? The reason why you don't need a priest to coordinate you in the partaking of the Lord's Supper is because you are a priest yourself. But for the sake of order and for the sake of um, organization in the local church, the pastor coordinates the serving of the Holy Communion. So, while you are at home or by yourself, you can partake of the Lord's Supper by yourself. Alright? Now, 1 um, Peter chapter 2, verse 9. First Peter chapter 2, verse 9. It says, but you are a chosen generation. Now, let's personalize this together. We want to go? But I am a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. Hold on. The Bible says that you are what? A royal, together, a royal priesthood. Let's say together. I am a royal priesthood. Make it louder. Say, I am a I am a royal priesthood. Royal means kingship. Priesthood means the authority to to do the ordinances of that um, Levitical order that the Old Testament symbolized. So you have the authority. You are now a priest. Revelations 5 verse 10. Revelations 5 verse 10. This is to debunk the notion that only those who are priests can serve the Holy Communion. That's not true. Why? Because you are what? A priest. Now, someone has to lie. It's either the Bible is lying or your mind is lying to you. Are you ready to debunk many things? Can you say after me, I choose to take the word of God, the word of God. As, the as the highest authority? What it means is, if you've been hearing things for a long time consistently, there is a tendency to believe what you've been hearing. But if only you can go back to the word of God and say to yourself, what does the word say for itself? It will help you be able to shape in your philosophies about the things of the scripture. Okay? So, now, Revelation 5 verse 10 says, And has made us kings and priests to our God. So, say it together. Say, I have been made king, king, and king and priest, and priest to, God. to God. So, somebody walks up to you and say to you, You're a priest. What is going to be your first response? Yes. You know what? If I didn't tell you this, What you would have said is, no, my priest is in the church. That's what many of you will think. Your priest is not in the church. You are a priest. Are you getting that? So you are a priest. And of course we know the dual ministry of the king and the priest together. The king is the one who um, takes dominion over um, a particular domain While the priest is the one who renders services to God So God has made you a king and a priest Here on the earth So here on the earth you're a king In that God has given you a particular space To dominate So everybody has a dominating space You have yours I have mine Are you getting what I'm saying And that dominating space is your ministry And many of you will come into your ministry Say Amen your priestly ministry is the services you render to God. And that's why when Pastor Ideal or myself or Pastor Shala or any of the pastors were talking to you about your, your priestly ministry, you, you're conscious of it. When you wake up in the morning, you, you, you know that you're supposed to give God services. The services include your worship and your praise. That's a priestly ministry. So the time you're worshipping, the time you're praising God, that's a a priestly ministry going on right there. Do you understand that? Alright, so let's move on. Let's move on. So the priest doesn't need to be the one to serve the Holy Communion in your house or by yourself. Let me put it this way, you don't need to wait till you come to church before you partake of the Communion. You can take the Communion anywhere you are. You can serve the communion by yourself. Is that alright? Then another fact of the Lord's Supper is that the Lord's Supper is not a promise. It's a right. The, the, the things about the Lord's Supper is not a promise. I will expound to you what the blood means and what the bread means. So, the benefits of the, ble- of the bread and the blood, these things are not promises. They are right. What is the promise? I will. Is that correct? A promise is when you say to someone, I will do this for you. So, so, the blessings of the communion does not talk about the I will. It speaks of I have. That's why when Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me, he's asking you to think back. Because He's saying if you look back, you would see that He has already. Is that okay? So, the communion is not a promise. The blessings of the communion is not a promise. But it's a right. It's a right. Now, let's look at the text. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 26. 1 Corinthians 11, verse... Let's start from verse uh, 20. Verse 20. Let's do verse 20. Alright? Therefore, when you come together in one place, it is not to eat the Lord's supper. For in eating, each one takes his own supper ahead of others. Alright, now, this is, um, let me, let me, this is where my teaching begins. Alright? So I want you to pay very keen attention. But let's use another version, so everybody understands what, Paul was talking about let's use um, if you have the living bible yeah, or if you have ok yeah let's do this yeah, this is fine when you meet together you are not really interested in the Lord's supper Paul is, Paul is telling them verse 31 for some of you hurry to eat your own meal without sharing with others as a result some go hungry While others get drunk. Now, Paul is addressing what has been going on in the Corinthian church. Now, you see the way the um, the Lord's Supper is set this evening? Then it used to be like real food. You get what I'm saying? Yeah, there was a lot of, um, there was a jar of wine. And there there was a tray of chow. So people will come and break the bread, partake of it. And not consider their neighbor, they will pick a very huge chunk and satisfy their hunger. And, and the bread is finished, the other person doesn't have enough to partake of. And then, because the wine is alcoholic, yeah, it's alcoholic because it speaks of purity. It's symbolic. I would explain some things to you, alright? Um, so, some drink it and they take it in excess and then they get drunk. So, the Holy Communion became a license to be high. <laughs> you get what I'm saying? <laughs> Your Royal Highness. I'm a king and priest, so I'm his Royal Highness. <laughs> the Holy Communion become, uh, became a, uh, an avenue for people to get drunk and high. So, Paul is addressing this issue in the church. Okay? There was a day my brother and I went to church one day in Benin. I, oh, I shared the story with you. Let me share it again. <laughs> and then Bishop Biano said, one of the bishops who was serving the communion brought a whole chunk of bread because that's the way they do it. So, Omar <laughs> is already thinking ahead. When Omar laughs, she cries when she laughs. So, um, he brought the bread and we, we, he will pass the bread round and you will take a little chunk of the bread and he passes it. You take a little, the other person takes a little. So my brother actually was hungry that day Yeah, he didn't leave the house With the right frame of mind For um, Sharing He wasn't in the mood to share At the time Nathaniel Bello Shout out to you in case you're hearing The message So then um, The bread Was being passed And immediately he took a hold, he laid hold on the bread he went, he went deep into the middle part You know when you do your hand like this The intention of the man's heart shows When you do like this So he did like this, went deep Like this So he created a cavity Do you know what cavity means? <laughs> you know what a cavity means? He created a cavity in the loaf so when Bishop Biano said he, he didn't realize what had happened So when he, he looked at it The bread all of a sudden became light <laughs> He was heavy before It became light So when he held the bread He saw that something had some, Who touched me You know when Jesus said <laughs> When Jesus said Who touched me Virtue had left me <laughs> So even the bread If the bread had mouth to speak The bread would say Virtue just left me you know, so Bishop said, picked the bread and then he saw that something was wrong. He looked at, he saw the hole, inside. he looked at my brother. He said, share it with all the people who are there with you. Yeah. So, what was I saying? why, why did I get here? What did I get here? Huh? Yeah, do you know you're all saying, rubbish? I'm not hearing what you're saying. <laughs> Sorry, I'm kidding. Sorry? People were taking advantage of the communion. So, just like my brother did at the time. Now he's born again. Mm. So, that's what Paul was trying to address in the church. Because people were getting high, people were getting drunk and all that. So, this is the background story. So, it says, as a result, some of you go hungry while others get drunk. Let's move to the next verse. What? Don't you have your own homes for eating and drinking? Or do you really want to disgrace God's church and shame the poor? What am I supposed to say? Do you want me to praise you well? I certainly will not praise you for this. Next verse. For I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread. And gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and said, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Now, first thing I want to say is that the communion or the Lord's Supper is a double cure. It's a double cure. It's a double cure because the two emblems are different. We call it the emblem because it's symbolic. The Catholic will say it's a um, transubstantiating bread and wine. What it means, or what they mean to say is that um, the moment the priest raises the tray to pray for the bread and the wine, all of a sudden, that loaf ceases to become bread, natural bread. It It actually... Becomes the body of Christ It actually becomes the real flesh Okay That is it changes Everything about it changes It transforms That's why they call it the transubstantiating Bread or wine or whatever So it transforms So at that point you are actually eating raw flesh That's the idea Then the veterinarians Will say it's um, A consubstantiating Meaning that there is an addition of the body Of Jesus with the Natural flower You get what I'm saying It's a mixture But we, our own perspective is The way we teach it is that it's a symbol That even though The flower doesn't change to Flesh and blood The wine doesn't change to real blood It's a symbol Of what Jesus represents Okay and the reason why I stick more to this, um, 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 to this idea is that before Jesus died, he took the bread and he broke this bread. And he said, this is my body broken for you. Now, at the time when he was saying it, he wasn't dead yet. He was still alive. But he said, this is my body so he was using that bread as a symbol of his body, and then he took a wine or a cup of wine and he said, This is the cup of the New Testament in my blood. Which means that that wine symbolizes what his blood will do. Okay, now the first thing is that I must establish to you what the blood is for. What is the blood for? The blood is for forgiveness. For forgiveness, so let 's look at two scriptures Colossians one verse fourteen and Ephesians one verse seven The blood, which is the first emblem of the lord's Supper, is for forgiveness forgiveness of sins all right this says let 's go back to the um, new King James or the King James Version this who is um, yeah who purchased uh, Use the King James Version. Use the King James Version or the New King James Version. Good. Colossians 1.14 In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. So what is the blood for? The forgiveness of sin. Let's look at Ephesians 1.7 Ephesians 1.7 In Him, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of His grace. Now, the question that I want to ask you is that, when are you forgiven? Are you forgiven by the blood you start to drink in the service? Talk to me, somebody. When are you forgiven? Which blood forgives you? The blood of Jesus. When was that blood shed? Now, if you remember what I was saying to you, that the Israelites partook of the Passover not to come out of Egypt because it was their forefathers who were in Egypt. So, when you are partaking of the blood, you are not partaking of the blood... To be forgiven You are partaking of the blood Because you have been forgiven Does that make sense to you? So when when, when when Jesus says Do this in remembrance of me Or Paul is saying I am passing on to you what I have received in the Lord That Jesus said on the, on the last night Of the supper when he said these things So Your partaking of the blood Is To bring you into the consciousness of your forgiveness. Did you get that? Okay. According to the riches of His blood. So, the blood means, the blood symbolizes what? Say it boldly. The blood symbolizes what? Now, let's put it this way. You can say, the blood symbolizes that I have been forgiven. Forgiven. So let's say, what does the blood symbolize? I have been forgiven. forgiven. Now, let's talk about forgiveness. Do you meet God again to ask Him for forgiveness when you have already been forgiven? Let me put it this way. Is there a difference between saying, I'm sorry, and forgive me? Is there a difference? So there's a difference between saying, Lord, I am sorry, and Lord, forgive me. The forgiveness you have received is a once and for all forgiveness. Which means that there is no sacrifice anymore that can provide for you another forgiveness. Now, in the Old Testament, what happened was that the small lamb which was exchanged for your sins is what the priest would use to determine if you'll be forgiven or not. So, if your, if your sacrifice is perfect, then it means your forgiveness is perfect. If your sacrifice is not perfect Your forgiveness is not perfect So at that point Your forgiveness has nothing to do with you Your forgiveness has everything to do with the sacrifice So now The forgiveness you have received Has nothing to do with you It has everything to do with what? Now who is that sacrifice? Jesus So you are not asking Jesus or God to forgive you When you have already received the forgiveness again But you can say Lord I'm sorry And I need grace to be able not to do this anymore But that does not mean that he has not forgiven you You are already in the forgiveness of your father Does that make sense to you? Okay Now um, look at Hebrews chapter 4 verse 1 Hebrews chapter 4 verse 1 Therefore, since, let's use the NLT version. Follow this teaching very carefully. It will help you. God's promise of entering. Sorry, I don't want this. Let's do Hebrews chapter 10. Let's do Hebrews chapter 10. Let's do Hebrews chapter 10 verse 1. The old system under the law of Moses Was only a shadow A dim preview of the good things to come Not the good things themselves The sacrifices under that system Were repeated again and again Year after year But they were never able to provide Perfect cleansing for those who came to worship Which is perfect forgiveness Now move on If they could have provided Perfect cleansing or forgiveness The sacrifices would have stopped for the worshippers would have been purified once for all. And their feelings of guilt would have disappeared. This is Bible. Verse 4. Okay. Sorry. Sorry. But instead, those sacrifices actually reminded them of their sins year after year. Why did they remind them of their sins? Because they had to do it over and over. Verse 5. Okay. 4. For it's not possible for the, for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. That is why when Christ came into the world, he said to God, You did not want animal sacrifices or sin offerings, but you have given me a body to offer. Next verse. You were not pleased with burnt offerings or other offerings for sin. Then I said, look, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written about me in the scriptures. First, Christ said, you did not want animal sacrifices or sin offerings or bond offerings or other offerings for sin. I hope you know there are still pastors today who do this. There there, there are some churches you go to and they will ask you to bring a dove. They will ask you to bring fowl. The gravity of your offense. Then when you you have done really bad It's it's a cow Pastors are becoming native doctors I'm telling you Pastors don't want to tell the people the truth Pastors, Pastors don't want to tell people That they have already been forgiven Even though what is this gospel that we're preaching You go to a church And the thing the pastor is talking about Is your sin the, past, the pastor has become an expert in the revelation of your sin. I see iniquity in you. <laughs> if, if, you if you don't do this, you're on your way to hell. The pastor has become the, the judge. Thank you. He's become the judge now. So, so let's, let's keep reading. But in this church, we're going to tell you what Jesus has already done for you. We're going to tell you that you're righteous already. You're righteous in Christ. In Christ Jesus. Now, first Christ, let's move to the next. Okay, where are we? Now, let's move to, no, stay here, stay here. First Christ said, you did not want animal sacrifice or sin offerings or bond offerings or other offerings for sin. Nor were you pleased with them, though they are required by the law of Moses. Verse 10. Then he said, verse nine. Sorry. Then he said, "Look, I have come to do your will." He cancels the first covenant in order to put the second into effect. Those of you who are still holding on to the second or to the first, you have to resign. God has left there. Nobody sent you. Nobody sent you message. You understand what I'm saying? God did not send you because the first covenant appeals to the flesh. It appeals to what your flesh can do. Works. I need to do something to feel forgiven. And the question I will ask you now is how many things can you do to actually be forgiven? (laughs) So let's move on. For God's will was for us to be made holy by the sacrifice... Of the body of Jesus Christ. Once for all times. So when Pastor Victor was saying to you that you are now holy. Some of you, it was too heavy in your mouth to sing it. I am holy, holy, holy in the lamp. It was difficult for you to sing. It was as though they put block in your mouth. Couldn't sing it. Because you don't believe you're holy. Your holiness is not by you. Your holiness is by what He has done. Are you seeing the word sacrifice there? So I'm telling you that it's the sacrifice that determines your holiness. See, don't worry about this because we have come from... I've come from a place where I was born into the law. I was telling someone yesterday how my father suspended somebody for wearing a shiny shoe. My dad, as you see, him very free right now. is the law. Is the, the grace of God has liberated him. You <laughs> don't understand. My sisters didn't have hole in their ears till they were in their teenage years. Why? Because hearing is a sin. What are you talking about? My uncles will come visit my dad. And the moment my dad calls them to his room or maybe something, he... They are running to his room. They are removing their gold necklace and putting it in their pockets. Because if he sees it, you are wearing something carnal. So we've been there. When my father said to the whole church, look, what I've been teaching you guys is wrong. It takes a man of humility to do that. I'm going to start teaching you the gospel from the beginning. Many of us didn't understand what he was saying. And then he started to tell us, that the gospel is a revelation of the righteousness of God. Not your sin anymore. The gospel says that you have been forgiven. The gospel doesn't focus on your sin. It focuses on forgiveness. Please somebody tell me, what is the blood for? Forgiveness. forgiveness. It re- now, I'll, I'll get there. I'll get there. Now, it says once and for all time. Verse 11. Under the Old Covenant, the priest stands and ministers before the altar day after day, offering the same sacrifices again and again, which can never take away sins. Verse 12. But our high priest offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for sins, good for all time. Then he sat down in the place of honor at God's right hand. Why did Jesus sit down? Talk to me, somebody. Why did... Now, I hope you know there was no chair in the, in the tabernacle of those days. But in the tabernacle of um, the perfect, the new creation, which is heaven, there is a chair. Sit, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. So there is a chair. So he sat down. He sat down because the job is complete. Hallelujah. Now, it says, then he sat down in the place of honor at God's right hand. Verse verse 13. There he waits until his enemies are humbled and made a footstool under his feet. The coming kingdom. That's not today's talk. For by that one offering, he forever... Somebody say forever. forever. Say it loud. Say forever. By that one offering, he forever made perfect those who are being made holy. (laughs) It means that he has already perfected. Now, being made holy here is talking about your sanctification. Okay? So, he has already made you perfect those who are in the sanctification process. Alright? So, let's move on. And the Holy Spirit also testifies that this is so. For he says... This is the new covenant I will make with my people on that day, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts and I will write them on their minds. Next verse. Then he says, I will never again remember their sins and lawless deeds. So why are you remembering? In fact, you come before God and the first thing you do is you start to remember how sinful you are. When God says, into the sea of forgetfulness, I've placed all those things. Yeah, so next verse, and when sins have been forgiven, there is no need to offer any more sacrifices. Am I reading the same Bible with you? Huh? Is it when sins have been for, see, is it have been forgiven, past tense? There is no need. Please slap your neighbour high five, say there's no need. Hmm? Look at your neighbour, slap your high five, say there's no need. There's no need. Hmm? For those of you let me tell you what some of you are doing. What some of you are doing is that you are offering another sacrifice by your works. You are indirectly saying that what Jesus did on the cross is not enough. It's called pride. You think is the, the law. You think the people who are under grace are proud. While you, who is under the law, you are humble. You have to follow the path. The ancient landmark. And you misquote scriptures. The Bible says there's no need. If you trust in what Jesus has done, it's enough. It's enough. Now, what does this mean? It means that it is not your, your, I'm sorry to use this word, but I have to use this word so I can pass the message. It's not your devotion that qualifies the degree of your forgiveness. It's not. It's not even about how you live your life. That qualifies the degree of your forgiveness Now let me explain grace to you Some of you say So how do you defend the message When people say Are you saying that we should keep on sinning I have an answer for you Are you ready yes, Now the answer is very simple Which one is easier To please somebody Who you love Or to please someone you don't love, but has put down a set of rules for you to please him. Pleasing the one you love is easier. Let, let me put it this way. If, if you offend somebody and the person forgives you, and the person shows you his love. Let's use money because it's easy, it's easy to relate. Some of you, the way your minds are, if I don't speak money terms, say hey, amen. That's the way they ask a, a little boy, uh, 1 plus 1, 2, 10 plus ten, 20, 16 plus 15. He couldn't say 31. But when they used Naira, <laughs> 16 Naira plus 15 Naira, it is 31 Naira. So for, for some of us, money will work better. Okay? If, if somebody um, borrowed you one millionaire, and then the person has been asking you for the money. Asking you for the money. In fact, he says to you that if you don't pay this money, I'm going to prosecute, and I will take you to jail. His lawyer is set, everything is set then pastor Phil comes into the picture this is where you shout hallelujah <laughs> so pastor Phil comes into the picture and then he pays the man you're owing 3 million naira sorry 1 billion naira I, I have a question to i have a question to ask you How many people will be grateful? Did you you get that? How many people will be grateful? Is it the one who was in debt alone that will be grateful? See, the one who was being owed will be thanking God for the day he borrowed that money. (laughs) Because... The person who came along to pay did not pay exactly. He paid over. So, when the law was demanding from you and saying that if you do this, do this, do this, you'll be righteous, Jesus now came. The Bible says he's the end of the law, correct? He fulfilled the requirements of the law and he paid in excess. See, the law is grateful. Do <laughs> you <Yay! laughs> yeah. understand it? But let's bring it home. We are also grateful. Now, I have a question to ask you. The person who paid for you and freed you and all of a sudden set you up a restaurant to run. You now serve people. People come to your restaurant and buy food. When the person walks into your restaurant, will you allow him pay? His food Is there a law that says when? Is there a law that say, Is there a law that says In your restaurant for example um, We don't do debts here There could be right There could be a law right But when the person who freed you When Pastor Phil now Came to your restaurant Will you make Pastor Phil pay For the child That is nothing compared To to the one billionaire he freed you from. So you will use your church mind. It's what Pastor Wally called reasonable service. You use your church mind now to give me the food free of charge. Hallelujah. That's why when I call Eno, she makes it free of charge for me. Amen. She prepares the food for me free of charge. I look at Tomas' face and she knows what I want to eat. Praise God. Oh, to get ready. Hallelujah. You're pretending like you didn't catch my joke. <laughs> they didn't laugh. <laughs> they didn't laugh. Some of you, I'll just call you to greet you. <laughs> you know what to do. But, but the, the point is... <laughs> the point is that the person who forgave you or who freed you from a debt, it doesn't take too much to love the person. It doesn't take anything to want to hurt the person. So grace says that you have freely been forgiven. And because of your love, no, because of the love the person had for you that made him forgive you, you just don't want to hurt the person. That's the teaching of grace. So grace does not say, live your life anyhow. Grace is a teacher. Grace does not say, do anyhow. If you do anyhow, you will see anyhow. <laughs> Grace doesn't say that. Grace doesn't say because you have been forgiven and no matter what wrong you do, God will not forgive. He has forgiven you. Because if you, if you remember, he said, your past, present, present. And future, is it forever sad once and for all? Is there no need to offer any more sacrifices? But you see the perspective of grace, the perspective of grace is love. We love him because he first loved us. It's difficult to hurt the person you really love. It's hard, but it's easy to, to break rules. Does that make sense to you? It's easier to break rules than to hurt somebody you love. The law is rules. Thou shalt not. And immediately God gave the Old Testament put these things on the tablet of stones and he used his finger to write the Ten Commandments. He instructed that an altar be built because immediately he gave the law. He knew that they would break it. So an altar is there on the side first to help atone for the breaking of the law. So when God gave the law, he also instituted the sacrifice plan. You think God is not wise? And initially, God was dealing with the children of Israel by grace. And then when it got to a point, he said, anything you ask us to do, we will do. God said, oh, tell the people to stay away from me. I'm visiting them tomorrow And I'm coming with my indignation Right now Nobody comes to me face to face No man can stand my unveiled presence Without being consumed And then the law was instituted And the sacrifice plan Was instituted But you see what I'm trying to say to you Is that you have already been forgiven If you're struggling to believe this You need deliverance Hallelujah Hallelujah so say after me. Say, I have, been I have been forgiven. Jesus Christ, oh my God. Then what's the bread for? The bread is for our healing and health. That's what the bread is for. The bread is for our healing and health. Mark chapter seven verse twenty-six. Mark chapter twenty-seven and Mark chapter seven verse twenty-six. And she begged him and cast out, and she begged him to cast out the demon from her daughter, since she was a Gentile born in Syrian Phoenicia, the Syrophoenician woman order. Jesus told her, first I should feed the children, my own family, the Jews. It isn't right to take, now I want to use the New King James Version, please. New King James Version. Let's use the New King James Version. Go to verse 27. Yeah. Let the children be filled first. For it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. Okay. This is a woman who was asking Jesus to do or perform deliverance for her daughter. Okay. And I'm telling you that whether you call it deliverance or whether you call it sickness, bread is used for all of them. Bread is for deliverance Bread is for sickness In fact the Bible categorizes deliverance And sickness together Acts chapter 10 verse 38 Let's look at it Acts chapter 10 verse 38 Acts 10 verse 38 How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth With the Holy Spirit and with power Who went about doing good And healing all those who were oppressed By the devil So you see he uses healing for oppression you see that? Healing all those who were oppressed by the devil for God was with him. So bread is for healing and is for deliverance. Now bear in mind that when God asked the children of Israel to eat the flesh and put the blood on the lintel. Yeah? He asked them to, to do that after they did so the, the children of Israel were about 2.5 million people. The Bible says none of them Not one of them was feeble. You know, because of crowd, medically speaking, it's easy for diseases to be transmitted. But with that crowd, and with the exposure to the things in the wilderness, not one of them was feeble. Psalms 105 verse 37. Psalms 105 verse 37, let me show you. He also brought them out with silver and gold And there was none Feeble among his tribes see, imagine That the children of Israel Trekked for decades And they never went feeble They were strong It, it, it It wasn't A natural strength It was a supernatural strength So The partaking of that bread Or that animal Made them supernaturally strong what is food for your body? Nourishment What is the Holy Communion for your spirit man? Nourishment I prefer health to healing So if you are wise And you have covenant sense, When Jesus said Do this in remembrance of me Knowing that there is a blessing To why you should do it That's why he said Do it as often as you can If you are wise I will do it as often as I can Because um, It will keep me in perpetual health Now, it is not the bread By itself that makes me healthy It is the consciousness Of what the body has done Why? Because it says do this in remembrance What are you remembering? So let's put it in three ways Past, present And future Let's say that together Past, present and future Now, when when Jesus gave that scripture, do this in remembrance of me, what is the past? Remembrance. He's saying, remember the past. So, I'm going to tie up this teaching now. I'm going to close in the next five minutes. Let me tie up this teaching with, let's go back to our main text. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse... um, Verse twenty four. Let's start from verse twenty four. First Corinthians eleven verse twenty four. Okay? And when he had given thanks he broke it and said, Take it, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Past. You do this to remember what he has done on the cross. Okay, next verse. In the same manner, he also took the cup after saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it. A remembrance of me. So, you are always in consistent and constant remembrance of what Jesus has done on the cross. So, when you partake of the communion, let me help you a bit. When you partake of the communion... What is the factor that brings your deliverance? Is it the symbol or what the symbol makes you remember? Huh? Are you married because you wear a ring? Or do you wear a ring because you are married? Does that make sense to you? So, Your partaking of the communion is the symbol that brings you into remembrance of what he has already done for you. Is somebody hearing what I'm saying? Okay. So, the past, you remember. The present, you proclaim. Move to verse 26. For as often as you eat this bread. Look at this. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till He comes. The coming is the future, but the proclaiming is the present. The remembrance is the past. So, when you are... Now, do you proclaim what you are not conscious of? Talk to me, somebody. Do you understand it? So, you, you, you take the communion and you get to the point where you now begin to remember... What Jesus did on the cross. It keeps your consciousness in that singular act of the cross. And then you already understand that you are healed by the cross. You already understand that you have been forgiven by the cross. You already understand that you are a success by the cross. You already understand that you have been delivered by the cross. So, that act of remembrance puts you into proclamation. And then you begin to declare these things. Now, let me say it this way. The taking of the communion is both a verbal proclamation and a non-verbal proclamation. So that when you take the... Did you get that? So that when you take the communion, you may not be speaking, but the act of taking it is the proclamation. Now, it says, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim So, he's saying that the act of drinking and eating is proclamation. Is somebody following what I'm saying? So, I may not be talking, but I'm proclaiming. So, and we already know that it's difficult to proclaim without opening your mouth. But this is a spiritual thing here going on. So, he says, when you take the communion, you are proclaiming. What are you proclaiming? The Lord's death. What did the Lord's death do for you? Colossians chapter two verse fourteen. Colossians chapter two verse fourteen. Quickly, Colossians two verse fourteen. It says, "Having wiped out handwriting of requirement that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he was taking and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it what to the cross." Verse twenty-five, verse fifteen. Sorry, having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing. So, what does the cross tell you? Victory. If you want victory and you take the communion, what do you begin to proclaim? You are proclaiming victory. So the act of taking the communion is is proportional to your victory that you understand and remember. So my taking the communion reminds me that I have victory over this issue. Do you understand what I'm saying? Hebrews chapter 2 verse 14. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 14. Quickly. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 14. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 15. It says, Inasmuch as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death, he might destroy him who had the power of death. That is the devil. Victory. So when you take the communion, you are remembered or you are reminded of victory. Hallelujah. So let's go back. I'm 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 closing. I'm closing. I want to break molds now. My flaps are coming out. I'm about to land safely. Let me break mold now. Let's go back to First Corinthians eleven. First Corinthians eleven, verse twenty-six or twenty-five. Where did we stop? In the same manner, the, let's go to verse twenty-six. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim The Lord's death. So what does the Lord's death tell you? Somebody say victory. Victory. What does the Lord's death tell you? Victory. Victory Victory over what? Sin. Victory over what? Sickness. Victory over what? um, Poverty. Victory over what? Tell me again. Depression. Lack. It proclaims victory. So you are not taking the communion... To put yourself into victory. You are taking the communion to remind yourself that you are already in victory. Do you understand that? So the communion does not do anything new for you. The communion reminds you that this is what you already have. That's why when Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me. Because when you do it, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. The future side of communion is the, the feast that we're going to have when He comes. Hallelujah. Now, move on, move on. Verse 27. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner... hey, My flaps are down. ...in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the blood Of the body and the blood of of the Lord. Now, listen, I I told you before that the the, the drinking of the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner is not speaking out. Let me try to see if I can touch this thing because of how brief the Lord has made me. Lord forgive those who laugh at your servant. Praise the Lord. Can you say, what's this word? Unworthy. Say it loud. Unworthy. Say it again. Mm-hmm. What's this? That one up there. <laughs> the second word was that whoever, whoever. unworthy. Manna. Not manna from heaven. Whoever. Unworthy. Manna. So, we, we need to understand which one is unworthy. Is it the whoever that is unworthy? Or the manna that is unworthy? Okay. I'm happy you understand. We have landed together. We have landed together. You see, that word, unworthy, is an adverb. An adverb modifies the verb. Okay? An adverb modifies the verb. So, it's, it's describing the manner in which you are taking it. Not the person who is taking it. So, have you seen people who when they see the Holy Communion, the first thing they think about is, I am not worthy to partake of this. In fact, I need to cleanse myself. Because if I don't cleanse myself, I take it. I have taken damnation. See, are you understanding the scriptures now better? It's talking about the manner in which you take it, not you. You know why? Because nobody is actually worthy. Nobody can be worthy to take the communion in the first place, if not for the blood already that made you worthy. So, your taking the communion is not a function of your worthiness. And now, I'm going to talk about... I'm going to explain to you why he says in an unworthy manner. Because, you know, we were dealing with a peculiar um, um, situation in this church. The things that were happening in this church. All right. Now, he says, Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. Move to the next verse. But let a man examine himself. I will go to that. Now... They were doing this in an unworthy manner because instead of using the communion as for the purpose of the communion, they were getting drunk with it. So men will come to church and in their minds it's time to get high. That's what he was talking about. I already read to you the the, 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 the background story, right? Already you saw it that he was not talking about the people. He was talking about the mindset of the people who were about to take the communion. So, when he says, let a man examine himself, he's saying, look into yourself to be sure that you are not like those people who think that this is just food to get high or wine to get drunk. So he's saying, examine yourself. He's You know, every every letter that Paul wrote, or, or these things that you're reading, these are epistles, right? These are letters he wrote to the church. So, he wrote this letter, replying what he had heard, that the people were getting drunk and high in the church. So he says, but let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Verse 28, verse 29. For he who eats and drink in an unworthy manner, Eat and drinks judgment to himself now not, not, he's telling you the unworthy manner that people drink and eat the, the bread, people eat, drink the blood and eat the bread, he's saying not discerning the Lord's body so in their minds they came to church, it was time to get high That's why they will drink and some don't have to take. They will eat to fill their bellies. So Paul says you have not discerned the Lord's body. Because that's not the purpose of the body. The purpose of the body was for spiritual nourishment. Not to get high or full. Remember what we read, he said if you are hungry, eat in your house before you come. Or drink in your house before you come. So he was addressing these people. Are you getting what I'm saying? So, you see, see this issue of Holy Communion, I want your mind to be free. Because there are some of us who come to the table, we pass the table. Why? We pass the table because I don't want to drink any strong tea. Something that will make you purge. And then you feel some people are more prepared for the Holy Communion and you are not. But that's a lie, that's false. Can I, can I tell you that Jesus will never come That's the second coming of Jesus He will never come Meeting anybody morally perfect You see a pastor his, his message is The trumpet is about to sound And when the angel of the Lord Will blow that trumpet Will you be ready scaring the people of God. I want to be free. Look, pastor, tell the angel to blow the trumpet. I'm ready. I'm ready. You're not ready by what you try to do. You're ready because he made you ready. Like I taught you, for those of you who are here, um, some... Some time ago I was teaching this, that your readiness is a function of his blood, not a function of your works. So when Jesus will come, the the pastor and the priest, there are still some sins in their life. I hope you know sin is not only the wrong things you do. Sin is the good things that you are supposed to do, but you don't do. That's sin. And sin is also anything you do not do in faith. Do you know how many things you have not done in faith today? Do you know the good things that you are supposed to do today that you haven't done? Do you know how many there are? For Pastor Ideal, for those of you who are working, he can count some of them for you. You are supposed to come by four thirty. You came by four thirty one. That's a sin. No, it's the truth. It's the truth. You beat the traffic light. That's a sin. Sin is not only fornication and adultery. Because when people think about sin, they think about babe. That's the first thing their mind goes to. Stealing, lying, cheating, fornication. That's iniquity. Then the other, other small, small sin. See, there's no small sin before God. There's no big sin before God. You know why? Because God doesn't take 99.9%. He doesn't. So that is why Jesus is our Savior. It's only Christianity that calls a Savior. Only Christianity. Islam doesn't need a Savior. Buddhism doesn't need a Savior. There's no other religion that needs a Savior. The only faith that requires a Savior is Christianity. So, don't look at the Holy Communion and begin to say to yourself... I need to ask for forgiveness. What's the answer to that? I've been forgiven. And my forgiveness is because I've accepted the sacrifice which is Jesus. Once and for all. Once and for all. So therefore, to know, um, where where are we? No, no, no. Let's move back to um, 1 Corinthians 11. 1 Corinthians 11. I need to settle this issue. okay? For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. Verse 30. For this reason many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. Now he's saying among you. he's not talking to you. Paul was writing a letter to the Corinthian church. He's not talking to you. I don't have... <laughs> Do you know the law is for the Jews? It's not for you. The ten... Com- are you a Jew? He <laughs> you, "You have to. You have to stay with the law. You have to keep the law. You have to fulfill the ten commandments. You are not. You are not a Jew. That the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles, which is you and I. So, for those of you who are feeling that, oh, I'm not worthy." No he's saying don't do it in an unworthy manner And the unworthy manner is talking about Not being able to discern the Lord's body And I've taught you before That Discerning the Lord's body Is saying You you pick up a bread A flat bread Or you pick up your loaf And you say to yourself This is The body of Jesus That took away my sin and therefore, I remember what Jesus did on the cross. The moment you come into that consciousness, that bread you, you, you lo- you're looking at, just became the Lord's Supper. See, they were having an ordinary meal, Jesus and His disciples. Is that not correct? It was an ordinary meal. But He just took from nowhere, Jesus just took the bread. I said, this is my body. Immediately, that bread... Became his body. So, look, if you are seeing a in front of you and you take the ebba and you say, This is the Lord's, body. I'm not joking, and you say, This is the Lord's, but you have descended because don't think that is, is this flat? Who made the flat bread? You know who made it? This one that you are eating and you eat it. <laughs> Oh God, Sheila. I mean, you know Shaila. He gave a story of the communion. How when somebody took the communion in the Catholic Church and then when he there's a way you have to open your mouth in a certain way <laughs> And then when, when they put it in your tongue you take it, you walk back to yourself. So you're not supposed to do anything wrong. When the body is with you at that time, you have forgotten that you are a part of the body. It's not this, it's not the it's not the bread. Let me where is it? There's a cross on it to make it look spiritual. There's a cross on it to make it look spiritual. But you see, it's not it's not actually this thing that makes it the Lord's body. Please go back there Discerning is the mind The moment you are able to discern And say this is the lost body At that point It just symbolized The lost body at that time So He gave the man And then he walked to his seat And there was somebody sitting on his seat <laughs> So he looked at the man he looked at the man, told the man. (laughs) The man refused to get up. Don't mind me, I'm smiling. He wasn't smiling. Look at the man again. The man, the answer. After you are You're not the air <laughs> because in his mind he's eating something holy, and if he commits sin, mixing that sin with the holy something is, is a strong thing. <laughs> but we are free, we're free because we know we've already been forgiven. We've already been forgiven. It's not... See, if I go to God, the judge is my father. Do you understand it? The judge, the one who is the king of kings, is my father. That's the greatest name that Jesus came to reveal. Abba. Abba. I believe in Jehovah, Shikinu, Mekadish Jehovah Jireh Jehovah Rapha, El Elyon The Create I believe in all that But the greatest name is Daddy Is there anything the child will do That will make the father so angry That he will throw the child away He's my father So look, you have already been forgiven. You are not trying to be forgiven. Your righteousness is a gift. It's not what you work for. When you make mistakes, you are still righteous. Because you are not righteous because you didn't make mistake. You are righteous because Jesus died. And you believe in Jesus who died. So you are righteous. Chicken. So all this idea of I need to prepare myself before I take communion. I need to sanctify my mind. Do you know that as you, as, you, as you think you prepare yourself, you are still not prepared if God wants to look at you on the scale of righteousness. Because the moment you say Father, your thoughts are still going through it in diverse ways so let's celebrate our forgiveness look at this do you know that bread the, the matzah is called the matzah in the in the Jewish law there are laws that were given to specify the making of the matzah which is like this flat bread now and one of those laws is that the bread must be unleavened there are four of them the bread must be unleavened even the Jewish priests did not even understand why the bread was made in that way so the first one is that the bread is unliving and what does um, living in the bible symbolize sin a little living spoils the whole lump so it speaks about sin so when you are making the holy communion bread it's supposed to be unleavened. so that's the first principle and our own bread which is Jesus is without sin that's why he is the perfect bread so he says, I am the bread of life. Then the second condition of the bread is that the bread had to be roasted. It had to be baked. It had to be baked. And when you bake something, you roast it. it is, it's going through severe heat. Baking. Jesus went through severe heat for you. On the cross of Calvary, the Bible says that The the sin of everybody was on Jesus. In fact, God roasted Jesus with his anger. God was so angry that every anger he will ever have for sin, he put it on Jesus. Are you getting what I'm saying? So, there uh, there is no more anger left for you. God is no longer angry with you. At that point, the sacrifice consumed the judgment of God. But in the Old Testament, the judgment will consume the sacrifice. Where Elijah cried, if God be God, let fire come down and consume the sacrifice. The judgment of God came down and consumed all the sacrifices. But Jesus on the cross, who is the perfect sacrifice, He swallowed the judgment of God. And that's why the Bible says, mercy has triumphed over judgment. So there's no more anger That God has for you as a believer anymore So if you fall today He's not angry with you Is it not the same Wait wait let's ask Is it not the same Jesus who told his disciples Forgive your neighbor 70 times 7 Is it not the same Jesus He's asking you as a human being To forgive somebody else How many times is that That's 190 times in one day and one day is not just 24 hours because you cannot be awake in 24 hours let's say 16 hours you break 490 into 16 hours that's 22 minutes and he's talking about one person now Jesus is saying you as a man forgive somebody who is offending you every 22 minutes so even if the person is a witch and the person keeps offending you. they say forgive. Now if Jesus is saying as a man you can do that. How much more God? Is somebody hearing what I'm saying? You have been forgiving. You want to take the Holy Communion. You are saying Father forgive me. Which forgiveness? Forgiveness that you've received already. Long before today. So... The second condition is that the bread is roasted, it's baked. Jesus' body was roasted with the anger of God. It's called the law of double jeopardy. You can't suffer the same offense twice. He went to prison for you. Why go to prison? Why would me now, Pastor Phil, as a guy, man, go to prison? Again, when Jesus already went to prison for me. Then the third principle is that that thing, that bread, there had to be striped. It had to be striped. Which speaks of the stripes of Jesus. And the last consequence is that the flatbread had to have holes, piercing holes, which speaks of the hole that his body received when the soldier pierced his side. His body is complete. Complete for my forgiveness. Complete for my healing. You don't need to pray and say, Lord, make me worthy to take the communion. He has made you worthy. As long as you are a believer. As long as you are a believer. If you are not a believer, then you need to come to receive the forgiveness that He has already provided. Because the forgiveness did not start when I said, Lord, forgive me. That's deep. The forgiveness did not begin when I said, Father, forgive me the forgiveness started when Jesus died 1st Corinthians 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 19 2 Corinthians 5 verse 19 it, that's, not, that's not when the forgiveness started is it that that is that that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself is it now you see bible isn't the bible is it not imputing their trespasses to them and has committed to us the word of reconciliation what are we telling people you have been forgiven accept it next verse now then we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through us we implore you on Christ's behalf be reconciled to God which means that God has reconciled himself to you. So you now, use your church mind. Be reconciled to God. But my point to you is that you saying, Father, forgive me, is not where the forgiveness started from. He said, I'm forgiving you when the ultimate sacrifice died. But if you accept me, you come into forgiveness. So, you're coming into forgiveness is not because you did anything. So doing anything can not take you out of forgiveness. That makes sense to me. Last verse, last verse, move to the next verse. I want you to read this scripture and shout it loud as you are reading. Let it sink into your spirit. Let's go. One to go? For he made him who knew no sin to be seen for us that we might become the righteousness of God. Mm-hmm. I am righteous. I'm righteous my righteousness is a making it's not it's not an earning I didn't earn it Pastor Adil I, I needed to help me form a rhyme with that I didn't earn it I've heard, I don't know what else to say but I didn't earn the righteousness I was made righteous do you get it? I didn't earn it. I discerned it. Yo, yo, yo. Hallelujah. Do this in remembrance of me. How many of you remember the victory that Jesus wrought on the cross of Calvary for you? Hallelujah. So please, TSP, hear me with all that you've got. When you see the communion, don't be afraid again. The communion is a symbol to remind you of what the cross has done. And in the cross, I have been forgiven in the cross I was delivered in the cross I've been set free oh I miss you with that in the cross I have, been, I have broken loose from bondage in the cross my victory is sure that's what the cross says hallelujah I'm not unworthy his blood made me worthy well. what did Jesus do to be made sin? Jesus who was made sin, what did Jesus do somebody say nothing Jesus didn't do anything when he was made sin no what did you do to be made righteous the only thing you did was to accept Christ as your Lord and Savior and then automatically you became righteous last scripture Romans chapter 5 verse 17 Romans 5 verse 17 Glory to God molds are broken here today mentalities are broken here today for if by one man's please look at the screen, this is there. This is the Bible. If by one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more those who received the abundance of grace and of the gifts of righteousness. Righteousness is a gift. I received. Somebody say, I received the gift of righteousness. So when you take the holy communion, you are going to walk boldly to the, uh, the the table. You take the bread. You take the wine. And then you begin to say, I remember what he did on the cross. And you put your life in the cross. And then what's the next thing to do? After remembering, you begin to proclaim and say, because of what the cross has done for me, I am therefore healed. Because of what the cross has done for me, I can be sick. Because of what the cross has done for me, I can be poor. Because of what the cross has done for me, I can be sad. Because if Jesus is not sad, then I am not sad. Because of what the cross has done for me, I am not in lack. I am not in poverty. Nothing missing, nothing wanted, nothing broken. I am whole as the body is whole. I am whole. Do you know that when Jesus died, his bones were not broken? It was prophecy. The breaking of the bones of the soldiers was so that when they look at the soldiers who is on the cross... And they say, oh, so that the soldier doesn't escape if the nail didn't kill the guy. Alright? If the guy didn't escape, I mean, if the guy is not completely dead, he might escape before the next um, dawn. So they break his leg so he won't move. And he's paralyzed. But when they went to to Jesus, they saw that Jesus was already dead. So, instead of breaking his, his leg, there was no need again to break his leg. To fulfill scripture." that none of his bones will be broken. But his body was broken. Why? For you. Hallelujah. See, just, Pastor Ideal, Pastor Shola, please come and um, help me. We're going to take the communion and, and trust me, whatever you remember that Jesus has done for you the other cross, begin to speak it, begin to proclaim it. <laughs> this concludes this message.